0: Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Revelation 7, 9 through 17. The passage will be on the screen for you or if you like. Please turn to Revelation in your Bible. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship Him day and night within His temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their
1: eyes. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you. Well, we're, we've been, the uh, last several weeks, we've been in the book of Revelation, and we've kind of, we've moved from the seven letters to the churches to uh, kind of more of the whole flow of the book of Revelation. One of the things we've said, though, from the very beginning, that Revelation is not necessarily a book of doom and gloom, uh, but that it is a book of hope and faith and, and expectation that God is still at work in the midst of a world that has gone wrong. Um, it, we, as we looked at those letters, we saw that, that each of these churches deal with a particular, uh, particular problem, and sometimes they deal with them well and sometimes they don't, but one of the common threads that weaves its way through all of that is that there is persecution kind of at every turn, either from the Romans or from the Jewish religious people. Um, there's persecution that, that makes it tough for them to live faithful in the world, uh, that they're tempted by earthly power and authority to, to look to anything else that, that might make their existence just a little bit more, a little easier. Their ability to, to, to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord um, without paying any kind of cost for it. Uh, well, we said that John has written this letter and using some pretty fantastic imagery because, well, it's, a, it's apocalyptic and it's kind of prophetic, but apocalyptic doesn't mean like, you know, all those movies that we like to watch, or I like to watch anyway. Uh, but it's more about revealing what, what God is doing, what God will do. And so he uses some of this fantastic imagery, and, and we've skipped over a, a little bit of that today, but we'll um, at some point we'll, we'll do more. Next week will be our last one as we get to the very last scene of the book of Revelation. Well what we skipped though um, was last week, the end of last week we saw uh, someone bring forth a scroll and it had seven seals on it and uh, an angel cried out, who is worthy to undo, uh, to undo the seals? And, and uh, John is there and He's weeping because nobody is worthy until he looks up and sees, he sees the, the lion of Judah who was and is and will be the lamb who was slain. Uh, we noted that, that the word slaughtered in the book of Revelation is always in the perfect tense, which means that it is a, an action that has continuing effects into the future. So he, he was the slaughtered lamb. He is the slaughtered lamb and he will continue to be the slaughtered lamb for all of, all of creation. And that's how he wins this victory over sin and death for us. It is through self-sacrifice and love and giving. And all of creation breaks out into praise because, well, because the Lamb who was slain is worthy to open the scrolls. Ah, he, is, he is the one who, as we'll see next week, is making all things new. Well, we we've skipped a little bit. Uh, the, the seals begin to open and we get these uh, this just some vivid imagery and there's a, there's a a picture, and my wife hates it, so I didn't show it. Um, uh, Albrecht Durer, he does woodcuts. You ever see those wood, what, woodcuts? They put ink on it, and they stamp it. And he has one of the four horsemen uh, of the apocalypse, right? And uh, so uh, it's pretty fantastic. There's, it, Well, just go Google it. We need to Google it now if you want to. Uh, I would show that just to kind of give you a, an idea of, of the image that's happening here. And, and each seal opens up, and a new rider comes out, and... Um, they're given the authority to to kind of conquer and to take freedom from people so that they end up just engaging in in violence with each other. Um, One of the horsemen unleashes kind of economic upheaval. And the last one uh, comes forth and it's sickly and pale and green and it's got death and Hades in tow. And it just brings death wherever, wherever it goes. Oh! One of the things that we've said, though, that, that this isn't necessarily a prediction of the things that will happen in the future, but that part of the function of apocalyptic literature is that it is a description of things that have come, have happened, and of pre- present realities. Uh, that, that in a way, that like, the, the destruction that was already unleashed in the world, that the Christians were suffering through persecution, um, is kind of personified in these, in these images. Uh, this, by the time we get to the the sixth seal, um, it is a group of uh, saints who've uh, who are dead, really, and they're robed in white, and they are they are asking, "How long will it be until God comes and finally takes away their suffering? Until God quells the the violence and the the persecution and." and makes the world into the place that God has created it to be in the first time, first place, a place of peace and of love, of happiness and joy, of, of completion and fullness. Uh, the, the very meaning of the word shalom that Israel uses means more than just peace, but it is fullness and wholeness. It's, it's everything being right and good and proper. Well, um, just a second here, here we go. Uh, and, and that's kind of where we start with chapter 7, and we're not going to going to read that, but um, all of these people are, are coming out, and we're given some numbers, 144,000. Now, um, these numbers, as we have said throughout, aren't, aren't there for us to kind of like do math with and, and to predict things, and, and there have been lots of different people in, in popular culture and, and theology even. Uh, who have who've tried to take these numbers and, and make them mean something. Uh, and so we get a list of 12,000 from each of the tribes of Judah, and, and what we're to understand about this image of, of these saints who are clothed in white, uh, who have been, who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb to be clean and are safe with Christ, uh, is that it's fullness, actually. So the, the, largest, the largest number in kind of antiquity, in, in Greece anyway was the word myriad, which re- literally means like 10,000. So 1,000 and 10,000 are the largest numbers that they can conceive of. And so when these numbers are usually used, it's used to mean like everything. Uh, and so we're getting this this picture uh, that after all of these things happen, the fullness of God's people are coming together and they are going to end up safe with Christ. Safe and and protected and in communion with Christ for all of time. Well, at verse nine, the, uh, verse nine, the, the passage shifts just a little bit. And uh, after this, I looked, and there was a great multitude with no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, standing before the throne and before the ro- Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, this little bit uh, palm branches. Does that ring any bells for you? Uh, yeah, I think I think we're we're seeing this image of all of the saints of God, and they are waving palm branches. And I think I think we are to think back to Palm Sunday, when when Jesus rides a donkey into. Jerusalem for the last time where he is going to become the slaughtered lamb and they're, they're proclaiming that he is king and ruler that he is the Messiah the one that they had been been waiting for and whereas that crowd totally misunderstood what Jesus was about in that moment this crowd does not this crowd looks at the crucified yet resurrected Christ and says he is the ruler of of all that was, all that is, and all that will be. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, this is a powerful confession in, for John in, in John's world. As we've said so many times already that, that um, there were so many things the emperor uh, Trade guilds and all these things that we encountered in, in the letters that called out to Israel or to Christians to say, uh, "Well, for salvation, really." Uh, the emperor himself had, had, you know was like a God complex, except he really thought maybe he was God. People worshipped him as God. Uh, salvation could be found in the Roman Empire. And so the people of God here in, in this passage are making this confession in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of all the temptations to, to chase after every other thing that might, that might bring them salvation and acceptance in the world. They confess that salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. They are saying, this is what we know. Jesus Christ is Lord and Caesar is not. Jesus Christ is Lord and money is not. Is not. Jesus Christ is Lord, and full acceptance in the community is not. Not that that's a bad thing now, because we don't, well. Jesus Christ is Lord, and nothing else is. It's a stark image in the context of what, in what, what we've already looked at, and, uh, and what we will look at as we go forward goes on, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are those, uh, they who have come out of the great ordeal. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Um, I got a little ahead of myself at the beginning there, but this is, this is where this image, uh, robed in white. Uh, throughout all of Israel's history, there, there was this uh, sacrificial system, right? where um, they would sacrifice animals to, uh, in worship to God. And so there, there became this kind of imagery that, that, those, that those who sacrificed animals, that the, the blood of the lamb was able to make people clean and pure. Uh, and so when Jesus becomes the lamb who was slain, they, they pick up that imagery and, and say that they haven't really washed. It's not literal, right? Again, they haven't washed their robes in the literal blood. They wouldn't be white then. Uh, but it is it again it's it's making this connection between who is lord and what Jesus did as the messiah Jesus Christ is lord who was and is and will be the slaughtered lamb and through his sacrifice we are made clean and pure We are made clean and pure and we are invited to participate with what God is doing in the world. And as we live in faithfulness, as we resist the temptation to seek salvation in any other Lord or God, God will welcome us up into his arms. Um, We go forward. For this reason they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them and they will hunger and thirst no more and the sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of water of life and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes John is picking up language from Isaiah again uh, he, he's, he's, and the psalms there with the, the water part too. Uh, he's saying this is, this is what happens. This is what is going to happen. This is what happens when, when, you, uh, well, when you are faithful and it leads to suffering and death even. Uh, that even though it seems like everything is not right, that, that God is there and he's going to gather you up into his arms and keep you safe. I know that that's a, that's a hard thing for us, to, I think, to grasp. Although we're pretty comfortable here. We don't have a lot of persecution. I don't think we're really persecuted at all. Um, but I, like, this is what is coming. Now, this is more than maybe just we go to heaven when we die. Because, because this scene is not the final scene of the book of Revelation. And it's not the final scene of the story that God has has been and is writing for us. Uh, the story ends not with just all of us huddled under the, the altar in heaven with God uh, protecting and providing for us. The story ends with the new heaven and a new earth that God is redeemed and restored. And it ends with God coming down and making his dwelling among us. Uh, it is a picture of, for once again, God Doing all that God can possibly do to create a place where we, where we are whole and we flourish, I think one of the, the most well I think I think the, the strongest image for me in in this passage and I think the one that I identify with and, and i don 't maybe know how to, to articulate it as as good as maybe I want to in my own head, but this this idea that God is going to grab us up in His arms, like you 've done this with your children, despite what your children have said this morning, right? Y- you remember just picking them up and like the wailing, wailing, or they 've just vomited seventeen times, and and anybody else 's kids do that no um, and, and and you don 't care that they may go again or that you might contract this ter- terrible stomach bug, but you are, you are there and you, you wrap your arms around them and, and at that moment, all you want to do is absorb all of their pain and discomfort. Uh, that, that if you could, you could just soak it up and take it on yourself and your child would be, would be whole and right. Uh, maybe you've done this for a spouse. Uh, when something bad has happened. And, and it's this love that, that drives you to, to want to just make everything right. And, and in the midst of that, especially with your kids, you're, maybe they, they stop crying just a little bit and you, you back off just a little bit. And you look at them and you say, I love you. Everything's okay. I'm here. It, it doesn't take away the scars that happen, right? Like we all have scars from being a kid and, Whatever. Physical and mental, emotional ones. It doesn't undo that, but, but it is the presence of the one who loves us, holding us, that, that's comforting and well, that, that allows us to get up and to move on into the future, knowing that, that in future times of hurt and pain, the one who loves us will be there again to hold us, to tell us it's okay, and finally to wipe the tears away from our face. I think this, this is where, this is what God is doing for us even now. It, it may not feel like that sometimes because we, we may not be able to see past the hurt and the pain of maybe our decisions or decisions of other people. But, but if we can't feel it now, we at least have this hope that the, the picture of creation, the picture of where all of God's world is going, is to this place, where God wraps it up in God's arms and absorbs all of the hatred and pain and violence, and takes it on himself and says to the creation that He loves that He created and that it's broken, "It's going to be OK. I'm here." There's no more need to cry. This is what I mean when I say that Revelation is a book of hope. It is our hope, our belief that Christ is doing it now for us and it is our hope and our belief that Christ is doing this for will do us for this at the end of time. That even if death gets us, we'll be safe with Christ. Now, as much as I love this image, there's this other little bit that we have to contend to contend with salvation belongs to our god who is seated on the throne and to the lamb these first century christians were were tempted to put their faith and confess that anything else is lord and as much as i would like to say that we don't do that now we do the, I, I want to say that, that what stands in the way, what stands in the way of, of Christ holding us and embracing us and making things new is when we are not able to assert and utter that claim. That one. I, yeah. That when we are not able to confess salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb and really truly mean it and live it out in obedience when we are unable to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and America isn't, or that Jesus Christ is Lord and my political ideologies aren't, or, or that to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and success and money is not, or to be able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and it goes on and it goes on, And it goes on. If if we want, if we want to be faithful, we have to examine ourselves. And we have to say, am I able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Uh, I guess this is a question we ask a lot. What, What particular God am I serving now? In whom have I put my faith for salvation? I, I don't want to make it seem, and I hate when preachers do this, like you're either here or you're here, because I don't think that's, there's too much gray in the world. I think as long as we are asking these questions of ourselves, as, as long as we are trying through the power of the Spirit to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and confessing when we don't confess that, that God is faithful. And when we experience the pain of our inability to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we follow after other gods that lead to our own destruction, that Jesus Christ is still there to come and wrap his arms around us and to absorb that pain and that hurt and to say you did what I told you not to but I love you and I'm here and I'm making all things new uh, so as we, uh, as we get ready to receive communion here um, I want you to ponder that question a little bit first I want you to ponder the, the picture of God wrapping us up in his arms. Uh, those intense feelings of love that you have for your children or that you have felt from a parent or a spouse. And it just, just feel that and say, this is what God is doing for us and what God wants to do for us. And then I want you to, to think a little bit about who you're serving. That if you are able to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that salvation belongs to the Lamb, to him who sits on the throne, to be able to maybe begin to point fingers at places where you have put your trust in that are not God. And then to confess those things and to receive again God's love. Not that you don't stop receiving God's love. You know what I mean.
0: Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.